Let us pray. Our Father, indeed, to you be honor and eternal dominion. May Christ exercise his dominion over us as we submit to his word, as it has been read, and now as I have the uh, privilege and responsibility of proclaiming it. Help me to do so faithfully. Fill me with your spirit. Fill the ears, the eyes, even the hearts of your people with your word that we might not just be hearers only and be like the man who looked at himself in a mirror and immediately going away forgot what he looks like. But help us, Lord, to be doers of your word, putting your word uh, into practice by faith. We ask this through Jesus' name. Amen. The way our nation views Christianity is changing. And I could quote different studies that have come out over the last few years, uh, but they would tell us nothing that we don't already know. Our nation is becoming less Christian than it was previously. I do firmly believe that the news media is exaggerating how quickly our nation is running away from Christianity. They want to portray our nation as an already secularized culture. Instead of reporting the news, they are reporting their preferences as a present reality. So the news media is uh, pushing a narrative rather than reporting the facts when it comes to reporting on uh, Christianity in America. The news media is assisting our nation in becoming more secular. So, how do we, as Christians, resist the tide? How do we push back against the growing secularism? How do we confront the antagonism toward Christianity? How do we encourage our non-Christian relatives and neighbors and co-workers to keep from growing more antagonistic towards Christianity? How do we help our own children from being swept along by the secular currents? Our text this morning will go a long way toward helping us answer these questions. In verse 12, Paul says, When faced with opposition to the gospel, we are to fight the good fight of faith. In verses 11 and 12, Paul tells us how we're to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, you could say he's giving us our battle plans. Before we look at our battle plans, I think it's important to be reassured that Christ will ultimately win the victory. And he plans on winning the victory through us. So we're going to look at the assurance of victory in verses 13 through 16. And then we'll back up to verses 11 and 12. And look at the battle plan. Timothy, uh, to whom this letter was written, he was up to the task that Paul had given him. But I don't think, I don't think Timothy really believed that he was up to the task. Timothy was given a very tough assignment. He was sent to Ephesus to confront the elders of the church who were teaching heresy and to see to it that they were disciplined and removed from their leadership positions. So, Paul had to tell Timothy, 
let no one look down upon you or let no one despise you for your youth. In Paul's follow-up letter to Timothy, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And the suffering that, Paul, that Timothy was going to do for the gospel was at the hands of the church in which he was pastoring. Specific, specifically the elders uh, whom he was charged to rebuke and remove. So with that in mind, listen to the solemnity with which Paul charges Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith without shrinking back or without giving up before the victory is achieved. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how bad things may get, no matter how fierce the opposition from our culture, our Lord understands what it is like to have to stand firm and give testimony to our faith in Christ in the face of hostility. Look at verse 13 again. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. You know, in the early morning on which our Lord was crucified, uh, Christ was brought before Pontius Pilate to be questioned. Pilate asked Jesus a simple question. But this question was loaded with consequence. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, in answering his question, testified, You say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus did not waver. He did not falter. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father and he spoke the truth about himself even though he knew that it would be the hinge that would swing his life toward the cross. We are called to fight the good fight of the faith. It is difficult to testify to your faith in Christ to a total stranger. I think it's even more difficult to testify to your faith in Christ, to someone that you know well, especially a close family member. Because if you offend them, you still have to see them, you still have a relationship with them. As Jesus testified to Pilate, Jesus will help us testify to him, even when it is very difficult to do so. It might be hard in the moment to testify to Jesus. But there's a larger perspective that we need to keep in mind whenever we are called to testify to our faith in our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is coming back. And whatever reproach we receive from others, that rep- we will be vindicated. 
Look at verse 13, the very first part of of verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And then skip down to verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until our Lord Jesus comes back. The command that Timothy was to keep was the command to fight the good fight of the faith. We will only receive the victory if we go to battle. It's the same dynamic that we hear in James chapter 1 verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. If you don't remain steadfast under trial, testing or under the trial, then James is saying you won't receive the crown of life. So likewise, if you don't go to battle and fight the good fight of the faith, you won't win the victory. Jesus will win the victory, but it will be through other people who are faithful to keep the commandment to fight the good fight of the faith. Lest there be any doubt in Timothy's mind whether Jesus will win. Paul reminded Timothy of the sovereignty of God. Look in verses 15 and 16. Uh, Picking up in verse 15. Which he will display at the proper time. Talking about Jesus' return. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. When Paul speaks of God being the blessed and the only sovereign, he is is stressing God's sole and unique power over all other powers. All powers and all dominions are subject to God. He is the king of kings, ruling over the Roman emperors of Paul's day. He is the king of kings, ruling over the superpowers of our own day. God is the Lord of lords. He is ruling over the false deities of the, the world religions. He is the Lord of lords, ruling over the gods of this age. Everything, the Bible says, must bow the knee to King Jesus. To be the blessed and only sovereign of the universe is no great matter to God. It's as if God carries the entire universe in the palm of his hand like we might carry a marble. Uh, He is infinitely elevated above his whole creation. A.W. Pink rightly says, God is the Most High, Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as He pleases, only as He pleases, always as He pleases. None can thwart Him, none can hinder Him. God never has to play catch-up because He's working all things according to the good pleasure of His will. He's never in reaction mode because He has sovereignly planned out everything that comes to pass. 
Christ's victory over His enemies is assured. Sometimes it feels like God's playing catch up. Something happens. You know, my daughter in an accident, uh, in a car accident uh, a few months back. You know, it felt like as we were praying, well, God, you've got to get on top of this situation. He was on top of it even before the accident happened. Whatever you're going through, your God is in control. However, the situation may seem to be out of your control, it is in His hand. It is no great matter for Him. Just like He holds the marble of the universe in His hands, He holds you in the palm of His good and caring hand. Nothing is out of His control. In verse 16, Paul mentions that God alone possesses immortality. And I think this is a reference back to Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus tells his disciples uh, not to fear them who can kill the body, but rather fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. God alone is the Lord of life. God alone has all life in himself. And so Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. They were to go out and they were to preach the gospel. Even though they were going to be persecuted. Even though they were going to be opposed. Even though they were going to be hated um, for Christ's sake. Jesus says, don't fear them. He continues, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who, who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. What can another person do to you? Ultimately, nothing. If you are being opposed, if you are being persecuted for the gospel's sake. Paul then goes on to underscore the blinding glory of God. God alone dwells in in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Again in verse 16. God is so gloriously exalted above his creatures that we cannot approach him without being destroyed. Of course we can approach him covered in the perfect righteousness of his own son Jesus Christ. In fact, we are adopted into His family. If we are in Christ, who is the Son, we therefore are children. Yet, God's enemies, in all their their pride and arrogance, shake their fist at God as if He were nothing more than a cranky neighbor down the street. But God will reveal Himself, He says in verse 15, at the proper time. 
And all will be vindicated. With the assurance of our victory, I want to jump back to the beginning of our passage and look at how we are to fight the good fight of the faith. The first battle order is given in verse 12. So he says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's telling Timothy to clamp down on the assurance of his salvation. And so he's telling us, you have eternal life. Therefore, be immovable in the face of hostility. Be confident that because God so loved you that He gave His only beloved Son and gave Him to the cross, therefore, He will use you to win His victories. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God so loves you that He will use you to fight the good fight of the faith? And not just to fight, but to win. To be more than overcomers through Him who loves you. While trusting God to give you victory, you must not hinder your effectiveness in battle by having an unhealthy craving for controversies. Going back to, to um, 1 Timothy 6, 4, where it says, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. So, um, Paul says in, in uh, verse 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee the unhealthy craving for controversy. Or verse 9, flee the greedy desire for money, where he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And so Paul's saying in verse 11, Flee these things. Flee them. And this is only a representative example. There may be other things that you might need to flee from. Other uh, areas of unholiness in your life. Other cravings and desires that you have that uh, hinder you in your effectiveness in going to battle um, for God's kingdom. Don't let unholiness hinder you in your witness. If you're living an unholy life in the secret of your heart desires... It will hinder your witness before others. Your life will not have the power of conviction that holiness brings with it. Your witness will seem contrived if you're living an unholy life and yet trying to live a holy life before those to whom you're witnessing. People can recognize a poser from miles away. Notice in verse 11 that when the Bible tells you to remove a behavior it typically tells you to replace it with holy behavior. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Instead, replace them. Pursue righteousness, godliness, 
faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. If all we're doing is fleeing sin, then we'll run right into the arms of another sin. Growing in holiness means replacing don'ts with do's. A warrior that is able to serve God has a complete character. And so we are called to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What do these terms mean? Well, righteousness has to do with our conduct before other human beings. We are to be upright in our dealings with others. Godliness has to do with our conduct before God. We saw last week that Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. In chapter 6, verse 6. In chapter 4, verse 7, several weeks ago, we saw how Paul exhorted Timothy to train yourself for godliness. And later in that same chapter, in chapter 4, verse 16, did I say 4, 16? In chapter 4, verse 7, Paul said, train yourself for godliness. In 4, 16, Paul commanded Timothy to keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Paul said, persist in this for so doing, or for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's not enough to know your doctrine to be able to fight um, the good fight of the faith. Your life must be in hot pursuit of God. When a godly person proclaims biblical truth, you get the light of the truth and the heat, the heat of their godly living joined together and you get a testimony of authentic Christianity. Continue looking at this list of godly character traits in verse 11. Any Christian pursuing godliness is going to be living by faith. The just shall live by faith, Paul tells us in the book of Romans. And we will also exhibit love towards all with whom we have contact. We'll have love with each other here in the body of Christ. We'll have love towards our neighbors. We'll have love even towards our enemies. Steadfastness steadfastness is also a key character trait. A Christian fighting the good fight of faith will be challenged and will face difficult times. Uh, we'll face opposition. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, what Paul's saying here, enlisting steadfastness, he's saying to Timothy, you can't run away when the going gets tough. George Patton, the great American general in World War II, says, Success is how high you can bounce when you hit bottom. And so, things get tough. Steadfastness says you're going to bounce right back up. And you're going to continue standing in the strength that God gives you. Endurance is not just standing firm. Endurance is going forward with the God. Again, listen to George Patton. And this is a a little bit longer paragraph, a little bit longer quote. He says, you've got to drive the body to the last inch of energy and then go on. 
You gain nothing by just going up to where your body says you are tired and exhausted. The body will build and grow only to, the, to fit the demands which the mind makes upon the lazy body. That way the body will figure out, we got to build up more strength, build up more body strength that that crazy mind is going to drive this hard. If you always quit when you are merely tired, you will never gain. Once you let the body tell the mind to quit, you are whipped for sure. You cannot gain by listening to the body. We can become much stronger if we drive the body. We use about one-tenth of the available strength of our bodies and less than that of our minds. Tell that to the cross-country runners in the congregation. Then there's finally gentleness. This is the secret weapon of God's warrior. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, to correct his opponents with gentleness. People with a hot anger can often get their way, but the heart of the, person, the other person is rarely changed. Anger is often a tool for manipulation. But gentleness includes humility. It includes sensitivity. It includes love. It's difficult for an opponent of the gospel to oppose a loving and gentle proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if they do oppose it, they'll be showing themselves to, be, to have hatred toward God rather than any opposition toward you if you were being nothing but gentle, loving, and, uh, and humble as you speak with them. You know, I have to remind myself of this when it comes to my own parenting. You know, because when the children are heading in a direction I don't want them to go in, you want to go and you jump out there and steer them back in the right direction with a, a, a firm word or two. And there's that secret weapon, gentleness. It's real tempting to find, as I'm concluding this sermon, it's real tempting to find some great story about a great Christian warrior contending for the gospel. But I'm resisting this uh, temptation to, to end with that kind of story because the battles that we often encounter when fighting the good fight of the faith are most often small and mundane. When parents turn off the television to read the Bible and pray with their children. Parents, you are contending for the faith in the lives of your children. When you invite a friend or a neighbor to church, you are waging spiritual warfare for that person's eternal salvation. When you read a book on the reliability of the Bible, or when you study a book on how to share your faith, um so that you can speak with your non-Christian neighbor about Christ, you are seeking to push forward the kingdom of God in that person's life. God will grant you victories for Him. Do you believe that He can and that He will use you? He will do marvelous things through you. Fight the good fight of the faith as we pray together. Oh, Lord God, we come before you and we ask that you would use us. 
Lord, help us to fight the good fight of the faith. Lord, we know that we will never gain the victor's crown unless we go to battle. So, Lord, help us not to shrink back. Help us by faith to step forward. Help us to love our neighbor so much that we are willing to step forward. That we are willing to receive their opposition. To receive their um, hostility. In order that we might tell them about our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you help us as a congregation as we begin 2019 to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our trust in you. Use us, God, to push forward the kingdom of God here in Brandon and the surrounding communities. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.